Welcome to the Modern Math Teacher Podcast, the podcast that will help you use today's best teaching strategies to ignite and excite your students in math class and maybe even make it the best part of their day. Hey, I'm Kristen Moore, a longtime believer that math is so much more than just solving fracks. I went from teaching straight from a textbook to implementing project-based learning and boosting student engagement in my class each and every day along the way. I'm here to give you the PD you need to successfully do the same with your students. Are you up for it? Let's do this. Hey there, Modern Math Teacher. Welcome to today's show. So whether we like it or not, back to school season is upon us. And when we're working in a modern math classroom, the way in which we teach and we run our classroom is going to be different from the ways that our students have already experienced up until this point. So we know that back to school is going to look different for us too. Your classroom is going to give students opportunities to engage in authentic learning through, you know, engaging thinking tasks, collaborative learning experiences, project-based learning, just to name a few. And your students are going to be expected to behave differently in class too. They're going to have more ownership of their learning. They're going to be collaborating with their peers, supporting their learning, and self-assessing their level of understanding along the way. Additionally, your students are going to have to adjust to being evaluated based on their actual level of understanding and not just the number of points that they can grab from, you know, completing homework assignments or bringing in a tissue box for extra credit. So it's a really big change for them. And one that we need to be preparing them for starting from that very first week of school. So the first thing we want to make sure our students know is that a typical class period is going to be different. We aren't going to be just walking in, working on a warm-up, checking homework, sitting through an entire lecture, right? Like trying to copy down your notes. In a more modern classroom, your students are going to be engaged in a variety of activities where they are going to be actively learning. Sure, you might still have your warm-up routines or your welcome-to-class routines, but the rest is likely going to be radically different from what your students have experienced so far. You're likely going to be engaging students in a variety of math tasks, whether those are those thin-slice problem progressions or conceptual building thinking tasks, some inquiry-driven explorations, and maybe even some project-based learning along the way. So students will be coming up with some of the knowledge on their own instead of having it fed to them. That's a really big change, but it's one that, especially by secondary uh, math classes, you know, 6th through 12th grade, they're really ready for. And as a teacher, we need to show that we trust that our students are going to have that solid mathematical foundation and that they can do the grade level work that we're asking them to do. Trust that they can think through, reason through, talk through the problems together and collaboratively come to an understanding. After all, I mean, honestly, that's how math was originally started, playing with ideas, creating conjectures, and testing those things, right? So we're trying to recreate that in our classroom for our students. Now, our belief in our students is going to help them build that confidence that they need to begin successfully working in this new kind of environment. So we need to make sure we're setting the stage for that in our first week. Additionally, a lot of us are going to be moving away from the sit and get model of instruction and moving towards a more self-paced blended approach. Maybe you're even going all in on the modern classroom model, which we've talked about in other episodes. But regardless, your students are likely going to be engaging in something that is more personalized and isn't just sitting and listening to a lecture. And while all students have had, you know, some form of blended instruction during the COVID years, it's really important to show students how this model is different from what they experienced in that time and how it's more specifically designed to support them in working through and building knowledge just at the right time for them. Now, both these classroom engagement strategies, those really awesome collaborative thinking tasks, this kind of blended learning approach, um, are going to take some practice to model. And in the first week, 
You really have to get them ready for that. So you want to plan to have one to two collaborative thinking activities for your students to do and make sure you plan in time to debrief the experience with your students and develop group norms. We'll talk about the group norms again in just a minute. But in addition, instead of going over just the syllabus on day one, you might consider creating a blended learning unit zero that introduces students to the blended class model you'll be using while they learn about the ins and outs of your classroom. That way your students aren't just sitting there listening to you read over the syllabus like they often do in their other classes on that first day. They are instead learning how to learn and be successful in your classroom. In my classroom this year, we'll be engaging in a couple of different tasks. Some of the non-curricular tasks that I'm thinking about including are the How Many Squares activity from Sarah uh, Wendorf, I believe is her name, along with some mathematic lessons uh, working on the importance of definitions. Having these opportunities early in the school year is going to give students an opportunity to successfully begin to learn in this model, right? They're going to be practicing that collaboration. They're going to be discussing math, and that's going to become a norm in our classroom. Students also are going to work through a series of three blended lessons, learning how they are going to do things differently in class, how we work in class, how we assess understanding in class, how all of those things are different. So my students are getting practice with both that collaborative learning aspect that inquiry-based learning aspect, and that blended learning aspect. Okay, now, we also want to talk about how we work in class. So if students are going to be doing things differently in class, it's natural then that they're going to be working differently in class. Students are going to be engaged in more active learning than they have experienced in the past, and so we need to establish norms with our students. Norms, routines, and procedures are going to keep us having a productive environment in that classroom. So utilizing one of the first thinking tasks as an opportunity to reflect on what works and what doesn't work in group work is essential to creating your work time norms. These are going to be similar, but different from your overall class norms, which we'll be chatting about next. So after completing an activity like how many squares or one to 100, another longtime fave of me and my students, it's a good idea to have students discuss with their teammates what was helpful in working together and what wasn't. This helps put the collaborative working norms into your students' words and not yours. I like to do this with sticky notes to capture ideas throughout the whole first week. Uh, And once we've done at least two collaborative learning tasks, we are going to work through and settle in on our students' final idea of group norms that work for any task, not just that one task in particular that they may have been focused on in that first reflection round. Starting with establishing group norms is a great way to get students to start buying into the idea that they are the co-authors of the class culture. Creating a social contract to outline how we behave in class following a structure like in Capturing Kids' Hearts really puts respect at the forefront of the classroom culture and empowers our students to take ownership in our classroom. If you haven't created a social contract with your students before, you really need to. It's something where you and your students become co-authors of this space. It gives them ownership and boost their accountability in class. And if you need help with that, you can head to my TPT store to grab the class contract and consequences download, which walks you through a process for designing your class contract with your students. And it gives you printables in five different color options, plus a whole bunch of uh, different patterns to display your contracts and your consequences so you and your students can refer back to them time and again. It's really important to keep this a nice living document in your classroom and not just something that you do once at the beginning of the classroom year or at the beginning of the school year, and then you just kind of let die or dwindle to the side. 
Okay, so we've talked about how we're going to be doing things differently and incorporating two different activities for that, how we are going to be behaving differently and making sure that after those two activities, we are reflecting and starting to create those collaborative norms. But the third part here that we want to talk about is how our students are going to be assessed. Sometime during the first week, we want to engage our students in a discussion about grading practices. We want to ask them how they're often graded in their classes and what their previous experiences have been. Then pose a few situations to them where they can begin to see that the traditional grading system of point grabbing and extra credit isn't a fair representation of their understanding. This is going to lay the groundwork for us to discuss your own grading assessment policies with your students. So, A couple of conversations you can have with your students. I'm going to give you some examples that you can use in your classroom. Student A completes all homework on time, but does really poorly on tests. Student B turns in only some of the work, but regularly demonstrates mastery on tests. Who should have a higher score? Let them discuss and think about that. Then say, what if I told you that depending on the weighting of each category, right? Homework, classwork, participation, and assessments each student ends up with the exact same grade. Is that a fair representation of your student's understanding? So pause and have them discuss that, have them think about why that might be happening, what could change instead. Here's a quote from the uh, Grading for Equity book by Joe Feldman. It says, our grading system can't render accurate grades when two students with entirely different academic and behavior performance profiles receive the same grade. And I totally agree. Now, what if those same two students, student A and student B, they go into a different class that has different percent categories, and now they receive different grades? Is that fair? They're the exact same student. They're doing the exact same process. In one class, they have the same grade. In another class, they would end up with different grades. So I'm saying like if they went from my geometry class with one grading system, and then they moved to a different geometry class with a different one. Now they have two very different grades. Is it fair that depending on which classroom they're in, they're going to receive different grades for the same content? Have your students have a discussion about that, and that can help you in particular if you are somebody who is norming your grading practices with teaching colleagues in your grade level or in your department. All right, one final scenario I want you to discuss with your students is, how about a student who has submitted and received scores for eight out of 10 assignments but they've never completed the other two. Should a zero be put in place to average this out? And give them a for instance. Let's say, for example, that of those eight scores, four of them were perfect tens. Four of them were eights. So hundreds and eighties. If we average those out without the zeros, the student is at a 90%. If we average that out with the zeros, and this is where you want to give your students the opportunity to do the math on both of these, That student is now at a 72%, even though none of the work submitted has scored below an 80. Give that scenario to your students. Give those three different scenarios to your students and have them think about and discuss and see what their ideas are for grading and assessment practices. Having these conversations with your students lays the groundwork to discuss the grading practices that you have in place in your classroom that are more equitable and some of the traditional grading models that they have come to know. We've talked about equitable grading before in episode three, but just a reminder that however you design your grading and assessment practices, you want to strive for grades that are accurate so they reflect a student's true academic performance. 
We want to make sure that they are bias resistant, so removing subjectivity from inflating grades. And we want to make sure that the grading is motivational. It gives our students a path to academic success that they think is achievable. So that conversation is the third component that you need to make sure you're including in your back to school week. Now, the first week of school is going to set the tone for the rest of the year. By including these different opportunities for students to help shape their classroom environment, successfully engage in the active learning that is going to be happening in your classroom all throughout the year, and understand the ways in which their learning is going to be measured, you're setting your students up for success in your modern math class. So I want you to skip over just simply reading the syllabus and doing icebreakers. Nobody likes those anyway. They're anxiety-inducing, even for us as adults. And instead, opt for opportunities for your students to engage in the type of learning activities that they're actually going to be engaged in throughout the year. You want to use those same activities to help shape classroom norms. And you want to discuss and provide your students an opportunity to understand the assessment process unique to your classroom. If you need help, figuring out what to do during that first week. You can go ahead and click on the show notes and find a PDF for either a three, four, or five-day first week of school. I have it all laid out for you here, what I would suggest doing depending on how many days back you have. And you'll even see what I'm actually doing in my classroom with Algebra 2 and Geometry students, how I'm going to be putting those into practice. All right, you guys, I know we're not quite ready for back to school season yet, but I hope this episode has given you some things to think about how you're going to be using that first week for more than just getting to know your students' names and going over your policies, how you're going to help your students see that they can be successful in your classroom right from the get-go. Till next time, you guys, keep it real. Thanks for tuning in to find out today's tips and tricks. Continue the conversation and join the movement to boost student engagement and make math more meaningful inside the Modern Math Teachers Movement on Facebook. Till next time, keep it real.